the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, from America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. All right, here we are, thanking you for being along with us as always. Time to gather around the scriptures. This weekend on the quiz show, had an opportunity to visit with a number of our Bible Live listeners and supporters. Prayer support, moral support and encouragement to me as the host, and also financially chipping in and helping us support the broadcast here in our great city and across South Texas. I hope that you'll be praying with us and for us as we attempt to make the Bible San Antonio's love gift to America. As the sun goes down in the evening in cities across America, our dream is that so many will have the opportunity to hear these wonderful stories, these great passages, this great teaching, and most of all, that they would be able to hear and meet the God of the Bible, get to know the author himself in a very personal way that will transform their lives. And you remember, change lives, change the world. So I hope that you might consider partnering with us in supporting the Bible Live broadcast. We don't need a great deal. We just need a a team of partners who can share a bit together. We can make this dramatic gift to our nation, the Bible Live. Well, tonight we're reading First and Second Kings together. We have finished uh, the reign of King Solomon. We have seen the civil war, basically, without a war. The armies of Judah were mobilized against the armies of Israel, the northern ten tribes, but God instructed the prophet to tell King Rehoboam, don't go to war with your brethren. They avoided the actual conflict, 
but now there are two Israels. In the north, called Israel, and in the south, Judah. And many Levites and others who fled the northern tribes when they saw Jeroboam leading them into godless pagan idolatry. We'll pick it up there and continue with it after our wisdom and worship reading tonight. We'll go to Psalm 70 and read this beautiful psalm. It's an urgent prayer for help. It can be your prayer, of course, too. It could be mine when we're short on time and we're long on need. And that happens to us a lot in these particular times. A psalm of David tonight on the Bible Life. Psalm 70. Please, God, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. End of reading Psalm 70. And just who are these enemies? David, of course, had his own enemies, political enemies, uh, military enemies that were attacking him and the people of Israel. Please, God, rescue me. Who are our enemies today? Sometimes there are people who persecute us, but mostly it's the world, this godless world system, the flesh, and Satan himself and demonic influences. We can call him his help there, too. As we look in the book of Kings now, we're going to be watching and following these kings, rulers of Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and we're going to see the ups and downs, their faith and their lack of faith. Tonight, Elijah battles with the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18.41 through 21.29, 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go and enjoy a good meal, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab prepared a feast. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and fell to the ground and prayed. Then he said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, but he returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look, and seven times he went. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And sure enough, the sky was soon black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Now the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. 1 Kings 19 when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I have failed to take your life like those whom you killed. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. 
Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around and saw some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for there is a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel forty days and forty nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu son of Nimshi to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve seven thousand others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field with a team of oxen. There were eleven teams of oxen ahead of him, and he was plowing with the twelfth team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away again. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but consider what I have done to you. Elisha then returned to his oxen, killed them, and used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the other plowmen, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Kings 20 Now King Ben-Hadad of Aram mobilized his army, supported by the chariots and horses of thirty-two allied kings. They went to besiege Samaria, the Israelite capital, and launched attacks against it. Ben-Hadad sent messengers into the city to relay this message to King Ahab of Israel. This is what Ben-Hadad says, Your silver and gold are mine, and so are the best of your wives and children. All right, my lord, Ahab replied, all that I have is yours. Soon Ben-Hadad's messengers returned again and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says, 
I have already demanded that you give me your silver, gold, wives, and children, but about this time tomorrow I will send my officials to search your palace and the homes of your people. They will take away everything you consider valuable. Then Ahab summoned all the leaders of the land and said to them, Look how this man is stirring up trouble. I already agreed when he sent the message demanding that I give him my wives and children and silver and gold. Don't give in to any more demands, the leaders and people advised. So Ahab told the messengers from Ben-Hadad, Say this to the Lord my king, I will give you everything you asked for the first time, but this last demand of yours I simply cannot meet. So the messengers returned to Ben-Hadad with the response. Then Ben-Hadad sent this message to Ahab, May the gods bring tragedy on me, and even worse than that, if there remains enough dust from Samaria to provide more than a handful for each of my soldiers. The king of Israel sent back this answer. A warrior still dressing for battle should not boast like a warrior who has already won. This reply of Ahab's reached Ben-Hadad and the other kings as they were drinking in their tents. Prepare to attack, Ben-Hadad commanded his officers. So they prepared to attack the city. Then a prophet came to see King Ahab and told him, This is what the Lord says. Do you see all these enemy forces? Today I will hand them all over to you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab asked, How will he do it? And the prophet replied, This is what the Lord says. The troops of the provincial commanders will do it. Should we attack first? Ahab asked. Yes, the prophet answered. So Ahab mustered the troops of the 232 provincial commanders. Then he called out the rest of his army of 7,000 men. About noontime, as Ben-Hadad and the 32 allied kings were still in their tents getting drunk, the troops of the provincial commanders marched out of the city. As they approached, Ben-Hadad's scouts reported to him, Some troops are coming from Samaria. Take them alive, Ben-Hadad commanded, whether they have come for peace or for war. But by now, Ahab's provincial commanders had led the army out to fight. Each Israelite soldier killed his Aramean opponent, and suddenly the entire Aramean army panicked and fled. The Israelites chased them, but King Ben-Hadad and a few others escaped on horses. However, the other horses and chariots were destroyed, and the Arameans were killed in a great slaughter. Afterward, the prophet said to King Ahab, Get ready for another attack by the king of Aram next spring. After their defeat, Ben-Hadad's officers said to him, The Israelite gods are gods of the hills. That is why they won. But we can beat them easily on the plains. Only this time replace the kings with field commanders. Recruit another army like the one you lost. Give us the same number of horses, chariots, and men, and we will fight against them in the plains. There's not a shadow of a doubt that we will beat them. So King Ben-Hadad did as they suggested. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The following spring, he called up the Aramean army and marched out against Israel, this time at Aphek. Israel then mustered its army, set up supply lines, and moved into the battle. But the Israelite army looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to the vast Aramean forces that filled the countryside. Then the man of God went to the king of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says. The Arameans have said that the Lord is the God of the hills and not of the plains. So I will help you defeat this vast army. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The two armies camped opposite each other for seven days. 
and on the seventh day the battle began. The Israelites killed 100,000 Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest fled behind the walls of Aphek, but the wall fell on them and killed another 27,000. Ben-Hadad fled into the city and hid in a secret room. Ben-Hadad's officers said to him, Sir, we have heard that the kings of Israel are very merciful. So let's humble ourselves by wearing sackcloth and putting ropes on our heads. Then perhaps King Ahab will let you live. So they put on sackcloth and ropes and went to the king of Israel and begged, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. The king of Israel responded, Is he still alive? He is my brother. The men were quick to grasp at this straw of hope, and they replied, Yes, your brother, Ben-Hadad. Go and get him, the king of Israel told them. And when Ben-Hadad arrived, Ahab invited him up into his chariot. Ben-Hadad told him, I will give back the towns my father took from your father, and you may establish places of trade in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will let you go under these conditions. So they made a treaty, and Ben-Hadad was set free. Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the group of prophets to say to another man, Strike me. But the man refused to strike the prophet. Then the prophet told him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And sure enough, when he had gone, a lion attacked and killed him. Then the prophet turned to another man and said, Strike me. So he struck the prophet and wounded him. The prophet waited for the king beside the road, having placed a bandage over his eyes to disguise himself. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Sir, I was in the battle, and a man brought me a prisoner. He said, Guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, you will either die or pay a fine of seventy-five pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have determined your own judgment. Then the prophet pulled the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And the prophet told him, This is what the Lord says. Because you have spared the man I said must be destroyed, now you must die in his place, and your people will die instead of his people. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria angry and sullen. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. First Kings 21 King Ahab had a palace in Jezreel, and near the palace was a vineyard owned by a man named Naboth. One day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to the palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What in the world is the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What has made you so upset that you are not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or to trade it, and he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not, Jezebel asked. Get up and eat and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the city where Naboth lived. In her letters she commanded, Call the citizens together for fasting and prayer, and give Naboth a place of honor. Find two scoundrels who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. 
So the elders and other leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in her letters. They called for a fast and put Neboth at a prominent place before the people. Then two scoundrels accused him before all the people of cursing God and the king. So he was dragged outside the city and stoned to death. The city officials then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, You know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, who was from Tishbe, Go down to meet King Ahab, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, taking possession of it. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Isn't killing Naboth bad enough? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood outside the city, just as they lick the blood of Naboth. So my enemy has found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered. I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. The Lord is going to bring disaster to you and sweep you away. He will not let a single one of your male descendants, slave or free alike, survive in Israel. He is going to destroy your family as he did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Baasha, son of Ahijah. For you have made him very angry and have led all of Israel into sin. The Lord has also told me that the dogs of Jezreel will eat the body of your wife Jezebel at the city wall. The members of your family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else so completely sold himself to what is evil in the Lord's sight as did Ahab, for his wife Jezebel influenced him. He was especially guilty because he worshipped idols just as the Amorites had done the people whom the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. When Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in sackcloth, and fasted. He even slept in sackcloth and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah, who was from Tishbe. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy all his descendants. End of reading, 1 Kings 18.41 through 21.29. Remember, as we've gone through these early kings of Israel and Judah, the northern tribes are so unstable, they go through as many kings, 22 different kings in a much shorter period of time. Uh, so you had Nadab and Baasha and Elah and Zimri and Tibni, some of these only reigning days. A week uh, Zimri reigned, Tibni reigned just four years, and then Omri came along, and then Ahab. And Ahab had to be ruthless and an extremely wicked individual, and he married the daughter of the high priest of Baal and eventually king of Aram, and that led the nation of Israel even further and further into wickedness and sin. So God announces here in this time with Elijah his intention to judge both Aram. He has Elijah anoint the new king of Aram, Hazael, instead of Ben-Hadad, And also he brings in the new king Jehu, who is going to usher in a whole new series of leaders. Jehu is the grandson of Jehoshaphat and is in the Davidic royal lineage as well. This other prophet goes and announces very quickly to Jehu that he is going to be the king. Super interesting experiences here. 
There was a moment when Ahab seems to have a conversion. It's a moment of crisis, battle and warfare, and a foxhole conversion sometimes doesn't last. Yeah, he seems to have this conversion experience, but there doesn't seem to be any reality or depth to his trust in and his willingness to obey, to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It just seems to be a very weak person led around by this powerful woman. Now, Jezebel was a princess. She was the daughter of the prophet of Baal in Sidon and Tyre, and he eventually became the king. She really had no problem using her authority and her power, but I go back to God speaking to Elijah in the cave there. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. And I don't know what was being communicated there, except that I get the sense that God was saying, Elijah, I have the power. This seems hopeless, this situation, but I can change this situation. Just trust me. These events that we're reading about now take place over a number of years. This isn't just a short story. This is the experience of Elijah here as he confronts the prophets of Baal courageously. And then he's depressed. He's afraid of Jezebel. He's threatened. And God reveals to him his great power. First, God gives him sustenance, food and energy. And then he speaks to him. And he reminds him of how great, how powerful God is, that he can make anything happen that he wants, wind, fire, and earthquake. Then we see these things work out. Jehu will indeed become the king of Israel. Hazael will become the new king of Aram after Ben-Hadad is killed. God has a plan, and Elisha comes to replace Elijah. We need to just trust him and obey him. Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 